Welcome back to Tackling the Premier League podcast. Uh, we are back yet again for another table rundown with your host, Jack Sosa17, alongside me, BJ the Germ Jackson, Jay Sue the Boo Super. Fellas, we're back. How's it feel? Still feeling good at the top, ready to talk about the Premier League. Yeah, I mean, about as good as we can be, you know. That's right. That's right. And speaking of the top of the table, that's where Arsenal find themselves on half a hundred points exactly halfway through the season. Got to be feeling good there, Germ. Last five games, four wins, one draw, including a really big win over Manchester United that happened on Sunday. We'll get to all that. What, uh, what impressed you the most about the, the last two games, uh, Germ? Um, it's going to have to be Eddie and Ketty, honestly, the way he's performing up top. I, we all knew he had it in him, but it's that he's actually really showing it now, and I'm happy to see it for the man. He's growing into the striker I thought he's always could be. What do y'all yeah, really missing Jesus less and less each game. Um, played a huge part in the win against United. In the two um, games that, uh, that Arsenal have won since we last talked were a North London Derby at Tottenham Hotspur and then uh, a game against big rivals Manchester United, a 2-0 win and then a 3-2 win over United. Big, really big test for Arsenal, and they come back. They come out unscathed, just as we expected them. What were you going to say, BJ? Oh, I was just going to state that our last four league games have came against the teams that are currently occupying third, fourth, fifth, and sixth in the table, and we came out of those four games with three wins and a draw. So, it's not like we've been playing easy teams either. Oh, definitely not. Those are those are big tests, um, and and they seem to have been. They seem to be passing them. Um, up next for Arsenal, though, in the Cup, which we don't talk much about, they have uh, Manchester City at the Etihad Stadium. That is game of the season so far. That'll be this Friday, 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, if you're joining us here on the East Coast. It goes down. It'll be an L Tackle Co. in the Cup. It'll be fun. And then, after that one... Arsenal's next game is another El Tacoco as they travel to uh, the dumpster fire that is Goodison Park to take on Everton. So, Arsenal, two big El Tacocos coming up next. What a great time to be an Arsenal fan, right, BJ? Yeah, I'm very, like you said, I'm very, we don't talk about the, the FA Cup too much. Um, but, yeah, I'm very excited to see how we uh, face up against Messi for the first time this season. It's going to be very interesting. Um, who will we start and who will they start? I would like to see, obviously, I, we got such a small squad. We're going to go with a strong lineup. I would like to see Man City go with a strong lineup as well so we can get a true test to see how these two teams face each other. Yeah, I don't really care how we start. Um, but out of the next three times that we play each other, this is the one I'd rather us lose. I can imagine that, yeah. It looks like uh, both teams have a pretty good break after the game as well, so there's no reason to be, uh, to be starting soft unless there's some mind games going on between the professor and the student. Uh, that's Pep Guardiola and Mikel Arteta. Speaking of Manchester City, um, we'll move on from Arsenal leading the way to Manchester City doing their best to chase them. They sit five points behind Arsenal uh, on 45 points. Last five games, the only uh, points they dropped were a draw to Everton on New Year's Eve and a loss in the, in the Manchester Derby uh, to Manchester United away. A bit of a... Uh, uh, controversy in that one uh, with Marcus Rashford uh, deeming to have not played the ball 
by, or excuse me, deeming to have played the ball and flagged for offsides originally, and then uh, referee overturns the decision, deeming him not to have played the ball. Uh, goal stands, and then Manchester United go on to win it 2-1. Uh, BJ, I'll get your opinion on that, and then we'll move to Justin. What Was was Rashford offsides, and is, it, was that the correct call? Should that have goal stood, or should it have been taken off? I mean, yeah, that goal definitely should not have counted, in my personal opinion. He affected uh, how far Ederson was coming out. He affected the defenders playing the ball. If you just take Rashford out of the – you just take a picture of where he is and they're not run a play and just take him out of the picture, you look at the Man City's defenders of positions, there's no way you say um, – what, who scored? Bruno Fernandez gets to that ball before those defenders. It's just embarrassing, honestly. He definitely affected the defenders' play and the goalies' play. Yeah, I agree 100%. Um, even taking my bias out of it. And the worst part about it for me is – um, the referee on the field changed the call rather than going to VAR. They had it right to begin with, calling him offsides. And then if you're going to go back and change it, it should have been looked at by VAR, taking a minute rather than um, playing to the crowd being at United and changing the call on the field and then not going to VAR. I mean, why even have VAR if that's what you're going to do? Yeah, I wasn't a big fan of it myself. Um, watching that, you know, if I'm the if I'm the head ref on the field, I'm agreeing with my linesman flag and calling offsides. If I'm the linesman, I'm immediately throwing up my flag. Marcus Rashford's effective play, that's offsides. If I'm VAR, I'll take a look at it. I'll try to think about it in terms of whether Marcus Rashford played the ball. He's running next to it. Do I think he was trying to play the ball? Absolutely. Do I think he was called off at the last second by Bruno Fernandez? A hundred percent. Is that offsides in my opinion? Definitely. Should have ended one-one there. Uh, but well, hold on. Should have ended one-one. I don't know about that because it changed the whole momentum of the next five minutes in which we gave up another goal. So, who's really to say it finishes one-one? You know. Yeah, I think honestly, if that goal gets called offside, City come out the win in my opinion. Yeah, I was meeting just by the goals that were scored, but you're right. That is a that is definitely a, um, a I mean, valid point. That's a huge uh, that's a huge three point swing for City potentially here at the end of the season. Exactly. Yeah, it it was a um, it was a rough call, um, and and those those seem to be coming uh, more and more often as we go deeper into the season compared to when when we started the season and, and the the refereeing was a little bit more uh, a little bit more consistent. Um, next game City played was just five days later on a Thursday uh, in which they hosted Tottenham Hotspur. This one, though, however, was a little bit more joyous for City fans, I'll say at full time, not so much at halftime. Uh, yours truly was in attendance. Uh, probably, actually, excuse me, easily the best football match I have ever attended. Now that's, you know, only I've only attended really four professional football or five professional football matches, but definitely the best football professional football match I've ever attended. Uh, Tottenham Hotspur up two nil at halftime. Man City come back four four goals in the second half, four two. Sue, what was your take on that one? And was that was that the the kind of turnaround performance you wanted to see after the Derby loss? Well, up until halftime, no. I mean, just poor performance, and then whatever Pep said at halftime got the team back going, and ever since then, we've really responded well. Um, 
listening to Pep talk after the game, he challenged every player on the city team. And in our next game against Wolves, it seemed like we came out and the players answered that uh, still not playing 100% city ball, but it was definitely a step in the right direction as we won that one 3 nothing. Yeah, you did. And that one was won via uh, an Erling Holland hat trick. Um, a guy who seems to seems to be hitting on all marks with, uh, what, is it 25 goals in the Premier League now? Incredible player, and, and he showed it in that game. Uh, one penalty, Just, two goals. So speaking of um, a Man City player potentially winning the Golden Boot, you know Man City's never won the Premier League title when a, a Man City player has won the Golden Boot. I did not know that, but that's an interesting stat there. Uh, they find themselves just five points off the top, uh, and Arsenal do have a game in hand as well, so that's something to, to keep an eye on as we move forward. Obviously, those two still have to face each other twice, um, but they have an FA Cup fixture coming up in, uh, what, two, three days? So, boy, is, that, yeah. boy, is this a good look for our season. Yeah, and if you want my honest opinion on it, if we split those with Arsenal, like, they win one, we win one. It's Arsenal's to lose at that point. I don't see us coming back to, with how Arsenal's playing. Yeah, I mean, we just say we our game in hand is the game against y'all, and we lose that one. We still got a five-point lead. It was y'all's game three. in hand. Yo, three, like yeah. No, it would be a, it would only be a two-point lead. So, yeah, it'd be inter- no, because you'll still have a game in hand. So, I don't know. It's very interesting. I – I wouldn't say it's ours to lose. Five points is nothing, really. I'm just saying based on form right now, y'all are one of the hottest teams, if not the hottest, with how everybody's coming together and playing right now. You just found, you just made a brilliant signing, Leonardo Trossard as well. He He's one to watch and how he fits into that Arsenal team that provides the depth that they have been needing uh, in, in terms of their season so far. Yeah. But yeah, it's a great signing you just mentioned. Um, he can play anywhere on the front three, if false nine, if needed. I'm very interested to see how he performs the second half of the season for Arsenal. Well, from uh, from second place Man City, and we'll move to uh, third place Newcastle, who seem to have solidified themselves as as uh, challengers for the top four position. Uh, Newcastle sit on 39 points, six points behind City. Uh, perfect in their last five games, uh, three draws and two wins. Um, seem to have slipped a little bit back into their uh, their their, uh, their drawing habit, but I think you can say if you can't win the game, don't lose it. And, and Newcastle have have really perfected that as they've only lost one game this season, and that was uh, to Man City, right? No, we drew. It was to Liverpool. Ah, that was right in the last minute of the game. Anyways, moving forward. Yeah, what uh, what do we have so far on Newcastle? So they have 12 clean sheets, and they've given up, what, 11 goals or something like that? That's exactly right. That's insane. And, I mean, it plays to your point. If you can't win, at least don't lose. If they could just find a goal or two a game, I mean, honestly – they might could finish up above where City's going to finish by the look of things. It's just, can they finish that one goal? And they're starting to get everybody back, being Alan St. Maxman and Alexander Izak. So it could be really interesting to see how this Newcastle team finishes up the year. Yeah, like you said, they just can't find the back of the net, which just hurts them 
with all these draws, they have been pretty sure they haven't uh, conceded a goal since October, which is insane to think about. I know we had the World Cup break in there, but still, they're just on they're on fire right now on defense. Um, just gonna be interesting to see if they can find the back of the net going forward. If they can't, I really I really don't think they keep a top four spot. I think Tottenham and Manchester United both jump them because they can find the back of the net, and I rely on that more than clean sheets. I think it's for certain they are being uh, super aggressive on defense and super aggressive in the transfer market as well. A lot of stories coming out. We don't uh, like to talk about anything unless it's uh, Fabrizio Romano confirmed, uh, but Newcastle still have a little bit of that oil money they just received, and they're, and they're pushing hard. It's one to keep an eye on, certainly going forward, is that they would probably be uh, one of the surprises of the season considering where their, their position is. Uh, we'll round out the Champions League spots with none other than Manchester United, a team who in the past five games uh, faced number one and number two. In the last five games, they've been perfect other than a loss to uh, Arsenal, which came just on Sunday. Um, after 20 games, they sit on 39 points, even with Newcastle uh, only beaten by goal differential as uh, they've given up over double the goals Newcastle have. Uh, Manchester United guys really turned it around from their start in August. Uh, I'll start with you, Justin. What, what is the key factor for Manchester United's success so far? The midfield, um, really, the signing of Casemiro has turned this team around. It seems like, and uh, it's kind of been the glue to everybody starting to play well. That and Marcus Rashford's form. I think he's got like nine and nine right now in all competitions. So he's probably in the form of his life at the moment. And with him finding the back of the net, they're a dangerous team right now. Yeah, Justin said it perfectly. I think uh, Casemiro is a huge uh, boost to this team. He's been playing really well. You saw how much they missed uh, missed him against Arsenal. McTominay, I, I don't think personally filled he filled the role good, but does can't do what Casemiro does, and that showed in the Arsenal game. But yeah, Rashford absolutely on fire, man. You can't ask more from him up top right now. He's doing exactly what you want to do, and you gotta be happy with that. It's just, can they find anything else? They're just trying anything at that striker position. Weghorst, I mean, he's he's not the answer at all. I know it's only a six-month loan, but still, I wouldn't even have done that if I were them. Y'all thoughts on that? We'll give him time. I mean, he's a Dutch he's a Dutch player, and he's playing for a Dutch manager um, with, a, with, you know, in a system where he's just a focal point and try to set the ball off. Obviously, you know, anti-Martial cannot be relied on when it comes to uh, his injury record. Um, great player, but missing far too often. I think I think Weghorst was not a terrible decision. As, as It's a little bit expensive, but at the same time, um, it's a decent player, and that can hold them over until summer when I think they reload at the striker position. Uh, not sure who they'll go for, but there, there are going to be some, some true strikers that uh, – that could really change this Manchester United team. I wanted to track back just a little before we get Justin's opinion on Weghorst. Uh I agree with Casemiro. Major signing, worth every penny that he's, that they paid for him, even at his age. He's been great for them. Rashford catching form has really turned this team around. I also wanted to mention, and I think it needs to be mentioned, Eric Ten Hag 
not only for his tactical setups and the way he plays his team, but also for standing up to Cristiano Ronaldo and getting him out of the club and then benching the team's captain of, of Harry Maguire and focusing on the best players in defense instead of the legacy players in defense. I mean, he's played Luke Shaw at center back with Molassi at left back. He's also played uh, Lissandra Martinez, who has been amazing for them as well next to Veron uh, with Luke Shaw at left back. I think I think really Ten Hag, you know, walking in, throwing his nuts on the table and saying, hey, I'm the manager, I make the decisions, this is what's going to happen, getting Ronaldo the cancer out of the club, benching Harry Maguire, who isn't fit for the Premier League in a two-back system. I, I give a lot of praise for him sorting that defense out as well. Yeah, he's definitely been the right man for the job. They needed a manager to come in and really set the tone and be more professional than Jose Mourinho was uh, for them. Uh, so props to him 100%. But about uh, Wegg Forrester, or however you say his name, he's – I don't think it's a terrible signing knowing the form he's in and how he played for uh, the Dutch at the World Cup. But like you said, it is a little expensive. Um, but if he can do what he was brought in to do, they could challenge top two even. Um I mean, all he's got to do is hold up play, pass the ball off to Rashford or um, whoever else is out on the other wing and do his job, essentially. He's there just to facilitate play and poach goals. All right. Uh, We'll move on from the uh, Champions League spots to the uh, Europa League spot for this season, and that's uh, currently occupied by Tottenham Hotspur. Played the most games out of anybody in the top five. They've played 21 games. Uh, they sit on 36 points. They've had a bit of a rough patch of form here, losing three out of their last five. Um, and they seem to be struggling. They, they've gotten recent rec- – they've just confirmed a recent recruit uh, in the transfer market in uh, Dan Juma from Villarreal. Uh, Tottenham Hotspur, I'll start with Justin and then get BJ. Justin, what's, what's the – What's behind this Tottenham Hotspur struggling for form? What, what's going on with that team? I mean, me personally, I'm not huge on how they just sit back and defend and let you do whatever with the ball that you want to do with it. I mean, Fulham looked very dangerous the first 30 minutes of the game uh, the other day and uh, for about 20 minutes in the second half just because Tottenham was sitting back so far and letting them – uh, pass the ball around in their uh, final third. To me, if you're the favorite in that game, so why not apply the pressure? And we saw what happens whenever you apply the pressure whenever Harry Kane scored, and they were threatening throughout the entire second half when they put pressure on Fulham's defense. And that's really what happened whenever they got their goals against City is whenever they were pressing forward and trying to get the goals rather than letting City do what they did in the second half and really be a Manchester City team. So not huge on the the entire style of Conte's play. Yeah. Yeah, I've never been big on the way Conte uh, sets his teams up, but that's just the way he is, and he's not going to change from it. Uh, Oh, man, Tottenham. Mm -mm -mm. I just don't don't like them at all. Just the way they are is – the team itself, I'm not. I'm not sure if they're going to even compete for this top four. Yeah, 
if Newcastle slips, they might get in, but that's really their only chance. If they if that happens, it'd be a very big surprise in my opinion. I don't think Tottenham's a top four team this year. They've got the talent for certain, but they're being outplayed by um, the occupants of the spot just below them in Brighton and Hove Albion. We'll get to them. Uh, I agree. I think if you got the talent and you got the skill, take it to the other team. Um, they're pretty much the opposite of Newcastle in terms of, of how they're playing. Uh, they seem to not want draws. They seem to only want to win, and if they can't win, they're going to lose. Uh, 11 wins, 3 draws, and 7 losses, 40 goals for, 31 against. Um, to to try to pinpoint it on a couple of players, I, I think Hugo Lloris, Lloris has been a bit of a problem for them. Uh, he His, his fall-off has been dramatic. Uh, so I, I expect them to reload in the summer when it comes to keepers. He, I mean, he makes the he makes a, a really good save here and there, but he's also let some pretty bad blunders in. Um, and you, you can't do that if you expect to make top four in the Premier League. I also think that there's been a big dip in form in some of their very key players. Uh, you know, Perisic is, is was a very key player for them at the beginning of the season, and how quick he got forward on it from his wing back position. He has not been the spark that they've needed. Uh, in the past few games, and Pierre Emil Hoiberg has been caught out of position and not been very good in build-up play. Those are those are just a couple of names that that I think have not really lived up to to their past their prior form and the, the expectation that you need them from. There's uh, another player that you didn't mention. So you're bringing up names, uh, Hoiming Son. Yeah, Son's been struggling as well, no doubt. Um, seems to not be quite as effective as he was last year when he. Uh, Finished tied for first with the golden boot. And I got a, I got a theory on why he's um, not performing as well. I just think it's the whole, like, set up a play with, uh, I think Kane's making more runs, like, in behind and stuff like that. Last year he was sitting more deep and he was the one getting the ball and then Son was making trying to make those runs in behind. That's what really helped Son last year. You're not seeing that too much this year. All right, we'll move on to uh, sixth place. Uh, a team that are just absolutely flying in Brighton and Hove Albion. Uh, they sit on 19 games played with Arsenal. Uh, they've played two less than Tottenham, who are immediately above them, and they're five points behind Tottenham with 31 points. Uh, one loss in their last five games. Really, really good Brighton team. Really, really, really forward-thinking and quick build-up. Guys, what do we uh, – change in manager – Losing their player of the season from last season, this team does has not stumbled except for the beginning of the manager's reign. Uh, Germ, where can Brighton take this throughout the rest of the season, and where can they ultimately finish by the end of the season? It'll be very interesting to see where they finish at the end of the season. They could definitely – I mean, they got two games at hand on Tottenham, and as with those win both of those games, boom, they're a point ahead of Tottenham. So they could easily finish in that Europa League spot. I personally don't see it happening. But it'd be awesome to see it happen. Um, yeah, like you said, they lost their player of the season last year. Lost their manager a couple months into the season. Still seem to be doing fine. We'll see how they uh, do after losing their top goal scorer so far this season. And Leandro Trostolgard, we'll see if they can um, replace those goals. They seem to do pretty fine the game without him. So it'll be interesting to see. Well, he hasn't played since New Year's Eve for them, and they've scored nine goals in that time with a very dominant performance over Everton and a very dominant performance over Liverpool. 
and then coming back to draw Leicester City. Um, they're really not faltering without him, in my opinion. Uh, Matoma stepped up very nicely. The more you see from him, the more you think he's really going to develop into a superstar. And, yeah, they're just doing bright things, finding players for five, six, seven, eight million and turning them into uh, $40 million players. And speaking of that, Moises Caicedo is one of those that's been linked with a move away, a big money move away after them not spending much on him. But he has, uh, he, he has stated that he is – he has committed his future with Brighton at least to the end of the season. He'll revisit that in the summer, but he's staying. And uh, personally, I think this Brighton team can go. I, I think if Spurs, I think if Spurs lose it, which the form has been struggling recently, they very well could do. If Spurs lose it, I think Brighton are right there to push, and I think Fulham right up behind them are, are there as well. I don't think Fulham are are uh, a European European league place. You know, but I think I think Brighton when when Liverpool and Chelsea make their second half of the season surges, trying to get up the table as far as they can, I don't think they knock Brighton out of the way. I think Brighton I think Brighton could find themselves splitting the top six personally with Arsenal, Man City, and Man United still being atop of them, uh, but being above Tottenham, Liverpool, and Chelsea, and that's what I think from them because again they've only played nineteen games, and by far they are one of the most exciting teams to watch. Great, all right. Well, we'll move to uh, uh, Fulham Football Club, who find themselves after 21 games sitting on 31 points in seventh place. Really, recently promoted team this high up the table this late in the season is is interesting to watch. Uh, uh, struggled a little bit in their last five as they lost the past two games that they've played. Uh, but three wins in five games, ultimately still a good result. Uh, is, this, is this a team that can stay up in, in that uh, top seven part of the table or are they dropping down to the mid mid portion of the table at the end of the season? No, this is definitely one of the teams that Liverpool and Chelsea pass and they just stumble down in my opinion. I don't think uh, Fulham stay up. I, I got more confidence in the team right below them, which we'll talk here in a minute, Brent, uh, Brentford. But yeah, I don't think Fulham stays in seventh. Yeah, I kind of agree with that. Uh, Mitrovic has continued his goal scoring form um, from the championship, but He's not really in the best of form here in the past five games, but, I mean, kind of depends on if he can keep finding goals or not. I, but I tend to agree with you, BJ. I think Liverpool and Chelsea, whenever they make their surge, they'll uh, pass full. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, guys. I, I, I'm proud of, of this Fulham team. Tim Ream and uh, Anthony Robinson, two Americans playing – Really well, out of their minds, to be fair. Um, and, you know, Marco Silva, who's, who's been doing, you know, who's turned this team around, brought them up from the championship and, and solidified their place here. Um, really a solid team. And, and I think they, they finished higher mid-table and they'll look to reload again in the summer and solidify their place as a permanent preliminary league team. Um, no more yo-yoing for them. Uh, moving on to eighth place, uh, what you're saying, uh, BJ, the bees are buzzing. Brentford bees sit uh, in eighth place after 20 games on 30 points, unbeaten in their last five games. Um, seven wins, nine draws, four losses. A team that, like Newcastle, if you can't win it, you better draw it and you better not lose it. Heavy on the counterattack, but lightning quick when they get going. 
guys, what do we have on the Thomas Franks bees moving forward? And, and where do you see them kind of petering out at the end of the season? Yeah, they're another really fun team to watch play whenever they're playing uh, as they can get forward on the counter extremely well, which this past weekend I thought we were going to have a thriller with Leeds and Brentford seeing that both like to score three, four goals a game, but just never happened. And, I mean, you really can't fault that being that they've scored about 10, 11 goals in the past five games, but. I think that they can finish seventh or so. I mean, I think that they can hold off the run from Liverpool and Chelsea with as long as they keep their form in that they're in now. Yeah, I, I don't see um, Brentford uh, dropping too much farther than eighth. Uh, maybe one of uh, Liverpool and Chelsea can pass them, but it wouldn't surprise me if uh, neither of them did. Um Ivan Tony, man, he's balling out this year. 13 goals in the Premier League. You can't uh, complain about that at all. Uh, we did talk a little bit. We talked uh, about his um, betting uh, problem he's in, but I don't think that will have any effect on this season. He's going to finish out the season fine. And I, he's going to help Brentford stay in that um, eighth spot and really battle these teams for that Europa uh, League spot and your uh, Europa League conference spot. It's interesting because it's one of those teams that – None of those players, I mean, maybe a few, two or three, but none of those players really make their National League teams. And you don't see uh, any interest or any links with them in, in the transfer market where teams coming in to try to buy them. Yet the entire unit, the sum of all the parts, seems to be brilliant and doing really well. Uh, looking forward for Brentford, I mean, it's nothing but up. They just got to keep that form and they got to keep Thomas Frank moving. Uh, a really special club and a, and a really good place they're in. So hopefully they keep moving forward. Um, we'll move to ninth, uh, and that's uh, none other than Liverpool. They sit on 19 games played, tied with Chelsea. Excuse me, they sit on 19 games played, uh, eight wins, five draws, six losses, 29 points. They've dropped points in three out of the last five games they've played. Uh, and that midfield sure does look shaky, guys. Is 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 their midfield the biggest of their of their woes, or, or is there something deeper going on in the roots of the club at Liverpool? Yeah, the midfield's a big problem uh, for Liverpool right now, but it's that defense too, in my opinions. Uh, they just uh, I think they're pressing too high, and they're not willing to get back and actually cover when they need to. You look at players like Trent. Just out there, seriously standing still, watching Brighton just pass the ball around him. It's embarrassing. Yeah, I mean, he's got the best seat in the house whenever he's defending. I mean, that's yeah. all he wants to do is stand there and watch. And really terrible for him. Um, from their previous standards, you shouldn't be losing 3-0 and 3 nothing to Brentford and Brighton. I mean, you just shouldn't do it. And then even the game against Liverpool and Chelsea – Boy, was that a boring game to watch. I mean, just nothing in it. And yeah, yeah I think in between their midfield and their injuries all over the pitch is really an issue for them. Yeah, they're definitely going to need a summer reload in, in a couple of positions. Um, Klopp saying he's not spending any money, any more money in this January. Uh, the, the, the root of their problems are in their injuries, and when they get their players back, they'll be back to the normal Liverpool. Guys, I don't know if you remember, I brought it up about a year ago. It was before the pod. 
this team has been aging for a while, and there there hasn't been enough refreshing and recruiting specifically for me in that midfield. I mean, they brought in Ibrahima Konate um, at center back. They got Sumikas back from loan. They refreshed a little bit on defense, and then on offense, obviously they. They sold Mane or they let Mane leave. They brought in Darwin Nunez and Cody Apo, two brilliant signings. They got Diego Jota, who's still uh, pretty young. He's obviously injured at the moment. It's really that midfield for me, other than Harvey Elliott and Fabio Carvalho, which has not quite been the signing they needed, except for the three points that he bagged them uh, against Newcastle in the last second. The midfield is is really one of the glaring spots of weakness for them. Usually, you expect Liverpool to have that strong midfield, and here they are in 2023, and they're still starting James Milner and uh, Jordan Henderson, uh, two bang average players who who are not good enough to continue to compete in the Premier League. Uh, you agree with that, or is, am I am I just biased because I hate them? No, I mean I. I agree with what you're saying, but you also mentioned a name that I completely forgot about, and I think that's even a bigger problem. Selling Sadio Mane. He was the guy that set up their pressing game. He led it perfectly. He was the per- he knew perfect time when the press and all this good stuff. I think that's a bigger loss that no one's talking about than their midfield. Yeah, in between that and playing Milner uh, at a defensive wingback position, I mean, that man's just too old and too slow, quite frankly, to be doing that. But what other option do you have? Put Trent Alexander-Arnold in there and just have a ball watcher on the pitch? Yeah, not good enough, definitely. And obviously the youngster in Harvey Elliott, it's got a bright future, and it's good to get him playing time, but he needs some help. And Naby Keita is not – his fall-off has been dramatic, to say the least. He came back from injury, and he's nowhere near the player he used to be. And Fabinho, I mean, last season was in the topic of best defensive mids in the league. I wouldn't even put him close to top seven best defensive mids in the league anymore. Um, he couldn't He couldn't lace the boots of Rodri Partey, uh, Bruno Gramirich, uh, Declan Rice. Casemiro. Casemiro, Paulinho. Like he's he's not even anywhere near these guys, and and last season he was right up there in the conversation with them. So Liverpool's midfield, big point of interest for them. They're gonna have to sort that out. We'll move forward uh, to the uh, hey big spender Chelsea Football Club sit halfway down the Premier League in twentieth place, twenty nine points even with Liverpool, although they've played one extra game. Uh, exact same record as Liverpool, although they've lost one more game. Just uh, goal differential sits at one goal. Uh, <laughs> they've, uh, you know, three out of their past five have been either been draws or a win, but really just uh, shaky for form, shaky for a style, shaky for for grabbing the game by the scruff of the neck. I'm interested on uh, your take here, Justin. Chelsea's biggest problem, who is it? Where is it or what is it? I think it's some more of a what is it question. Uh, they've been plagued by injuries this year. Um, they got what, 11, 12 players out right now, but and they, I mean, but they have gone out and spent so much money in the transfer market. It's just getting those players in form and gelling together, which is really kind of hard to do whenever you signed what six signings over the course of this uh, transfer window alone. I mean, they can gel and find goals in the last part of the year. I think 
Murdoch's going to be or Murdoch's going to be a really good signing for them. It's just will he be able to carry that team? And I don't think so. I think they might finish eighth, seventh or so. But cracking that top six is going to be a hard nut to crack at this point. I mean, given they are only two points behind Brighton, I just can't see it happening with all those new faces and all those injuries. What you got, BJ? Yeah, Justin hit the nail on the head here. Um, it's the injuries for me as well. Same with Liverpool. Just struggling to, with a bunch of injuries right now. Their main players, players that have been together, that have played together. They're having to throw together lineups that some players have never really even played. Like this Lewis Hall guy, he's been having to come in and play uh, left wing back and then center defensive mid and then back to left wing back. So it's really interesting to see what Chelsea's doing right now with the, since they got all these injuries. With the new signings, Mudrich, he's looking really good. Unfortunately, I hate to say it, that cameo he had looked pretty good. If he, oh man, if uh, Chelsea didn't steal him from Arsenal, I think he really could have been a world class player under Arteta and his uh, coaching of wingers. But let's not talk over spilt milk now. Uh, he's going to be in a mid table team with Chelsea for the rest of the season, in my opinion. Don't see them jumping um, Brighton, but I can see them jumping Fulham. Not Brentford either, and just in that battle with uh, Liverpool. So, yeah, it's going to be tough for them to get to the top seven, in my opinion. Yeah, they're definitely the big spenders, as I noted earlier. Um, and the injury problems have definitely plagued them. Uh, I see this Chelsea team is really a much longer-term project. Uh, obviously, they you know two or three years ago, they won the Champions League um, under Thomas Tuchel. Uh, and they haven't really made waves necessarily since then. They've done what they were expected to do. Um, but in terms of a long-term project, I mean, they're setting themselves up brilliantly. They're buying lots of young players. They're uh, stretching their contracts out. I mean, what Muger's on what, a, a, an eight-year, nine-year contract? I mean, that like Todd Bully's taking his Dodgers tactics and bringing them to football and stretching these deals out for a long time. I really, you know, I really see Chelsea – if they can keep this momentum, if they can keep this going, and they can keep Graham Potter at the helm, I really see them being a powerhouse to be dealt with in, in uh, two or three years and and really letting that stretch even further because they do, like you said, have a really good academy that's built a lot of great players, um, and they're obviously not short on cash. Uh, it's just it's going to take a while, and hopefully I, – I can't imagine that they would change managers. I mean, Graham Potter's – you see what he did at Brighton. He's good. He's very good. It's just about giving him time, getting that squad right, getting all their players back from injury, giving him a summer to implement his principles and his ideas and getting that football club right on the right track. Yeah, this also isn't the same um, hierarchy that has been at Chelsea for a while, um, being that there's a new owner and everything. So they might actually give him time. I think it results are unexpected as immediately as uh, they have been in the past. BJ, you got anything to add before we move on to Villa? No, we can move on. Rejuvenated Aston Villa find themselves sitting in 11th place on 28 points uh, under new manager Unai Emery. Uh, in their past five games, uh, they they are uh, unbeaten in four of them, and uh, they've really come a long way since the sacking of uh, the devil himself, Steven Gerrard. Uh, Aston Villa is an interesting topic because, honestly, 
you look at who they used to be and who they are now after the change in man- manager, there's not much different in terms of player personnel and, and players that have been chosen to play. So was their struggles earlier this season tactical? And how high can they, how high can their ceiling be? Where can they finish? No, this is a very interesting project. Um, like I knew how uh, you and I, Emory, was going to come in and perform in the big games. But it's interesting to see him now, man. He's gotten, uh, what, four and beaten in a row. Pretty impressive for Villa. He's brought them right up the table. I'm happy to see it. The former Arsenal manager uh, doing pretty good. We'll see what kind of – maybe they'll make one or two more signings in the transfer window. Not sure what they got planned, what they got up their sleeve. But it'll be interesting to see with this Villa team and how far they can move up this table. Me personally, I think they're right about where they are for the season. 10th, 11th. I really can't, could see them passing Fulham, maybe. I, I think Fulham personally dropped pretty far down. So, yeah, that would be uh, the only team I can see them jumping to get into the top 10. Yeah, I kind of agree with you where they're going to finish. But 16 of 21 points since Unai Emery's come in. And he's really lit a fire under a team that has a lot of potential with the uh, squad that they have could be interesting to see watch them out the rest of the year depending on everybody else's form where they could end up i mean chelsea and liverpool keep playing how they're playing they might could pass them too yeah and they just they just sold a high earner and uh danny ings and i think it was a really good signing because they sold him to a desperate west ham team who samaka's going to be out for a bit of time so they needed another striker that could bring goals. And I think this is the peak that Danny Ings is going to be worth uh, for the rest of his career. So I think that was a really good selling. So maybe they'll look to reload. Obviously they have a, um, Ollie Watkins is a brilliant young striker that they can build around, but you know, you and I Emory may have one or two tricks up his sleeves. Um, I think getting Leon Bailey on form and getting him to, to start finding those goals has been a huge part of uh, Aston Villa moving forward. And, uh, unfortunately, their next two games go against number one and number two with uh, Arsenal and Man City. But um, you know, this is a this is a like you said, he's a big game manager, and those are two very big games. So we'll see what Aston Villa have moving forward, and in, in terms of uh, how far they can get. Ninth would be my ceiling for them. I don't see them reaching that place. Only really, like you said, if Fulham drop off and Chelsea continue their woes. But you know, the Premier League writes its own story. So I guess we'll see what happens. All right, we'll move on to Crystal Palace, who uh, who was struggling for a bit of form at the beginning, or excuse me, who was struggling for a bit of form uh, towards the uh, end of the first half of the season before the World Cup break. I say half of the season lightly because it wasn't a full half of the season, but um, really just a team that that determined. You know, it's almost like they flip a coin in a locker room, and whatever side it lands on, that's how they're going to play that day, whether good or shit. You know, they they've. Uh, Won six, drawn six, and lost eight. They sit on 24 points in 12th place after 20 games. Um, lost two in their last five, drawn two in their last five, and only have one win. Crystal Palace, a lot of talent, a lot of young guys, uh, decent manager, uh, but lots of struggles. Where, where, where are we putting their ceiling at? And, and if they can turn it around, how high can they get going? Man, if you would have asked me at the beginning of the season where this Crystal Palace team would be, I would definitely have had them fight for a Europa League spot. I thought this was going to be a really good Crystal Palace com- team coming in to the season. They're definitely underperforming, in my opinion. Uh, 
they got a bunch of talent, man. I don't know where their problems are right now, where they exactly lie. They got talent up for t- up top and attacking with Olise, Sa, and Zaha, all three of those players. And then they got two good uh, uh, average strikers with Matata and um, Edward. So I'm not sure what's going on, man. They are starting to find a little bit of form. They got back-to-back draws, um, Manchester United and Newcastle. So two good teams that they uh, drew against. So you can't complain there. It'll be interesting to see where they could go. They I could see them jumping some teams that they got hot and teams just got cold, like Fulham, if they get cold, if Brentford get cold. Uh, Chelsea, like you said, continue their woes. I could see this Crystal Palace team making a run, but I don't think it will happen. I think they'll stay right where they're at in 12th. Yeah, I completely agree with everything you both just said. It seems like consistency is their biggest issue. Two really good results, in my opinion, against Newcastle and Man United drawing both um, with how those two teams have been playing. It's just this team is frustrating to watch, to say the least, if you're a Palace fan, just based off consistency. Yeah, I, personally, I, I, I pinpoint their their faults. Um in like I said in the last podcast, and in, in not replacing uh, Gallagher after he left, because I mean they don't have that box to box midfielder. The midfielder has re- midfielders really struggled this year. I mean, in terms of midfielders, they have the young chick Decore, who who's gonna be a very good midfielder, but he needs someone to work off of, um, and he currently is is basically doing the majority of it himself. Other than him, they have Will Hughes, very bang average, not all that great. Um, you know they've got uh, Milahojevic. Still, again, I mean he, he he's decent, but he's not he's not anybody who's going to make you your wow yourself. And other than that, I mean it's Michael Elise and Iberici Eze if they get a spot in that three in the midfield. But I think Patrick Vieira needs to to go to the board and say, hey, you know Gallagher was the reason we were so good last season. We need another one of those. And if, especially if Zaha leaves, they're really going to have to reload in the midfield and up top. But defensively, I mean, they look like a decent team. Uh, Tyreek Mitchell's been good. Nathaniel Klein's been good as well. Uh, they've been starting the past two games. The American Chris Richards, who looks the part. Joakim Anderson and Mark Gahey as well. I mean, the, defensively, you expect more. Uh, or you, you you see that they, they're doing well. They've gotten their defense in order. It's just about uh, they, polishing up that midfield and getting that attack right where they needed to be. Uh, we'll move on to uh, the team that has been resuscitated from their early season woes, uh, not enforced. The team we thought were going st- to stick at 20th and be fighting the relegation the entire time. Not to say they're not fighting relegation because they're only six, part- six spots off the bottom uh, or six points off the bottom, but they sit in 13th uh, and they've gotten points out of the- four of their last five games, uh, only losing one of them, uh, and they seem to still be buying players, guys. Not enforced. Is this a team that can escape this relegation zone and see themselves in the Premier League next season? Here's where the Premier League gets really interesting for me. You got this, the teams that from 13th in Nottingham Forest all the way down to 20th in Southampton, like you said, separated by only six points. And that is not a lot at all. That is, uh, it's just very interesting, man. You got them on negative eight, 19 goal differential. So you could tell they just. When they give up goals, they let a lot in. So, I think honestly, if a team can get out of that relegation zone, 
it could be Everton and the team that falls in. It could be Nottingham Forest, but do I think that's going to happen? No, I think our three are set in stone at the bottom. I could see Nottingham Forest dropping a little bit with teams like West Ham, Wolves, Leeds, and Leicester below them. All three, all four of those teams, I think, have better quality than them. But I don't think Nottingham Forest is going to drop into that relegation zone. Yeah, I personally think they stay up as well. Um, they're they found the right fifteen or sixteen. Um, with all the subs that you can make now. And they seem to be playing pretty consistent minutes and really seem to be forming a good bond together. And then they just brought in Chris Wood, who could help out a good bit up top, in my opinion. Um, but like you said, it, this bottom six, seven is going to be – I think this uh, relegation battle this year is going to be more fun to watch than – uh, the leaders battle in between City and Arsenal because really you could have any three of those teams go down but I tend to agree with you BJ those three that are in that zone are the three dropping appreciate that guys but anyways uh, yeah, I, I think Forrest yeah they, they um, you know they, they made significant investment and they the, the thing that surprised me is they stuck after their awful start they stuck with Steve Cooper um they backed their manager. He's figured it out. He's got it. Like you said, BJ, he's got a 16, and they move, you know, and now they're they're spending a little more money per player to find the player that fits the system and fits the team, and I think uh, that was the move all along. Uh, in terms of investment made, they're definitely want a very a very promising move, and I think, you know, they have the chance of staying up. Uh, we'll move on to Leicester City, who's at 14th in the Premier League. Uh, after yet another woeful start, they have dropped again their form. Uh, and, and since the World Cup, they've only uh, they've four losses out of their past five games. The fifth being a draw. Um, this Leicester City team struggling, struggling heavy, guys. Uh, and, and with the talent they have, you'd expect them to do more. Is Leicester City in danger of being finding themselves in a relegation battle at the end of the year, or are they gonna? cut it on somewhere in between March and April and, and find themselves safe and just reloading for next season? No, I definitely think this is a team that's going to be in the relegation battle for the rest of the year. I I think uh, Leeds and West Ham and possibly Wolves could even jump them, but I definitely think Leeds and West Ham will. I think the six teams that are going to be battling out for relegation, or I got five, we'll go, nah, yeah, yeah, we'll go five. It's just going to be Leicester, Nottingham Forest, and then your three bottom teams. I think Leeds, West Ham, and Wolves will jump them. So, yeah, Leicester's going to be in this battle all season long, and it's going to suck for them. I, that defense, man, it worries me. Is it good enough to keep them up? What do you all think about that? Do you think their defense is good enough to keep them up? Yeah, this year, but past that, they're really going to have to reload this summer. I mean, Feist is coming and played good at times and horribly at times, but – yeah. You get that out of a young player. This Leicester team is is an interesting one because they've got a, a pretty good amount of talent, um, but you know they they have been struggling definitely to find form. Uh, they've got a pretty tough run coming up, uh, and I, you know that can make or break a team. Really, it's all about runs. Um, they play a good Aston Villa team who's on fire. They play Tottenham Hotspur, who's always a danger, especially if you're not one of the top six teams. They play Manchester United at Old Trafford. They host league leaders Arsenal. 
they get a little bit of a break with a relegation uh, strap team, Southampton. But then it's Chelsea and Brentford, and, and that takes them all the way to the middle of March. If they do not come out of that run with at least four or five points, this could be a really, really, really tough end of the season for Leicester. And it doesn't look good uh, beyond this season as James Madison is heavily sought after and looks like he's out the door. Yuri Tumans is, is out of contract. Jamie Vardy is beyond time to replace him. Uh, while I think he's a great player, it's beyond time to replace him. Uh, and, and a lot of the players that they spent a lot of money on and paid and, and paid big salaries and wages to have not been performing, such as Ian Echo, Amarty, Castagna. Um, Harvey Barnes is even finding a slip in form. He, 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 I think he had a brace the other day, which was impressive. But again, I mean, you know, this this team is in, in, in a bit of trouble. And like we said, we they, they're financially they were in trouble uh, until they sold Wesley Fofana and brought, bought Wild Face. But what I mean, what's next for them in this summer? They're going to need a they're going to need a complete overhaul and a rebuild. So, uh, you like to say if they can get to March, if they can get to the March international break, um, with still hope and still high and not be in the relegation fight. I think they've got a pretty good chance of staying up, but again, we'll, we'll just have to see. Uh, this is one of the things about the Premier League we love. Well, you talk about getting to March. They got a tough run of games too with uh, Villa, Tottenham, United, and then Arsenal. So it's yeah. really past March where they're really going to have to turn it on. Nice. Leeds United States round out the top 15. Uh, they are in a special position because they do have a game in hand under, over everybody uh, from 10th to 20th. Um, they find themselves even on points with uh, uh, 14th place Leicester and 16th place West Ham. Three draws in their last five. Unfortunately, the other two were losses. Um, Jesse Marsh's men are uh, they're get, they're getting the draws. They need to find the wins, and they need to find them pretty quickly because – Another relegation scrap uh, after the one that they had when they stood up, they stayed up on the very last day in the last five minutes of that game uh, last season does not look good for Jesse Marsh and, and, and his team. Where's it? Where's it gone wrong this season for Leeds, BJ? And what what do you think they need to to reinvest in to make this team start clicking again? Uh, I just don't think the defense is uh, good enough for the style of play that uh, Jesse Marsh wants to play. Uh, yeah, they got uh, a good center defensive mid in Tyler Adams, but that that defense as a whole is just it's not up to par. They uh, I think they press too high. They like to um, hold possession some and stuff like that. I just don't think this Leeds team is really built for that. I think they're more of a counterattack team right now. Um, like, but like what you said, um, just going off of Leeds United States, which made me laugh. You see what Fab's saying, how uh, Leeds is trying to go in for Winston McKinney. That'll be interesting to see there. See how very he performs. That's very interesting. Sue, what's your thoughts on Leeds? Well, it seems like if they could just find form all over the pitch, their ceiling could be really high. But I kind of agree with BJ there. Defense just isn't good enough as they have an aging back line um, that they really need to replace. And, uh, well, even Robin Cox, not that uh, old, being 25-26. So they just need to get more quality players at the back. And, I mean, Melier makes 
great saves in games, but in others, he's awful, giving up needless goals. Um, but, yeah, if this team could find consistency all over the pitch, they have a very high ceiling. Um, and they've got the youth coming up. And Somerville that I really like. Yanto's another one. Aronson, obviously. And they just went out and bought a young French striker, too, from the yeah. Bundesliga. So, they got a bunch yeah. of young talent up top. I just, that's why I'm saying I just think it's that defense needs to get sorted out quick. I agree with both of you, and I think the struggle is going to be finding that form because one of the things about form is is you don't you don't lose three games and then all of a sudden say, all right, we're going to go on a three-game win streak. It's really about how you've been playing is going to determine how you are going to play. And, and what I mean by that is coming up, you know, they, their next game's against Forrest on the road. Going to be a tough game because Forrest is going to give them the best they got because, again, that's another team that are in this relegation battle. Then they've got a double against Manchester United, uh, back, back-to-back games against Manchester United. You don't expect them to get any points out of that. Hopefully they can, but you don't expect it. Uh, next, after that, they got a charity club, and they should take three points from Everton. Um, and, and the Everton and Southampton games will be big wins for them because if they can get six points and build their form there, uh, it would be good. But then they run straight into Chelsea and Brighton, two teams that are going to be you – would, you would think they're under-favored in. Uh, I don't want to go through the entire schedule, but I want to point out the end of the season specifically, um, starting with April, you know, they, they hit Bournemouth, who are another team in this relegation battle that are going to give them a hard time. They hit Man City, Newcastle, West Ham, who potentially could still be in this relegation battle, are going to give them a hard time. And then they have Hotspur on the, on the last day of the season. The, something to look out for is, their schedule does not necessarily favor them in terms of having their easy games in a lot, or not easy games, but their easier games lined up. Um, whereas, you, you know, towards the end of the season, you'd like to play a team who doesn't have anything to play for, and they're either playing relegation battling teams or teams fighting for those European spots, and that's not really uh, necessarily what you want. Uh, but like you said, talent's there, youth is there, defense is shaky, goalkeeper could use a little bit better of a backline in front of them. Uh, Jesse Marsh, get on it, sort it out for us, please. Moving on, uh, West Ham. Uh, finally, uh, four points in their past five games. Uh, really uh, uh, coming off the back of an El Sacco with Everton, um, almost to the point where, you know, it, here's a question for you. Sorry, they have 18 points out of 20 games. Here's the question for you. Did they do themselves a favor by getting three points against Everton, or did they hurt themselves in the long run by not losing and getting and, and David Moyes getting the sack? Are you saying that they would have been better off if they uh, lost that game and sacked David Moyes? I'm saying would would they? Yeah, yeah. We're not. I mean, obviously, you don't want to give up three points in the middle of a relegation yeah. battle, so they're not obviously going to be better off. But would they be better off with the, with switching managers, even though they got the result? No, I think there are certain teams that should just ride out the manager no matter what the season like. For instance, Leicester, who we were talking about earlier, you got to ride out with Brendan Rodgers. West Ham, I think this year, ride it out with uh, David Moyes and then look for an alternative in the summer. A team we'll get to later in the table since you know, they're so far down. Everton, I don't think they should have sacked uh, Frank Lampard. That cost them in this transfer window with a signing. 
we can talk about that later as well. It's just certain teams that should keep their manager. And I think um, West Ham, I think it's going to be all right for them. They'll stay up, but it's going to be a tough summer for them when they lose players, have to replace. I think David Moyes might be retiring this summer. I don't know. We'll see. It'll be a big summer for West Ham, but they stay up. What you got? Yeah, I don't think uh, David Moyes is really the issue. It's really how this team has come and gelled. I mean, we keep reiterating it with them, with the players that they signed. And Skamaka, unfortunately, he's hurt now. Um, Luis Paqueta, Paqueta, however you want to say it. Um, And a couple other guys. You just really wouldn't expect them to be down here, and it's really just how they've gelled together, in my opinion. You think the the lack of gelling is on the players or on the manager? Because, I mean, this team was a european place team last year, uh, didn't really lose anybody, and really only strengthened themselves significantly with the players they brought in, and now they find themselves in an even worse spot. I mean, yeah, it's definitely some part on the players to gel better, but tactically – they're all over the place. Defensively, they're all over the place. Obviously, not as bad as some other teams, but, I mean, some of it I feel like is – I, I personally believe the majority of it is on the manager. I think um, David Moises may have lost that dressing room. And like you said, BJ, this summer it looks like they're going to lose Declan Rice, who is the best player on that team by far. Uh, can they move forward and, and can can they recover – Obviously, I think they can stay up. They've definitely got the talent. Out of out of anybody in the bottom seven, they have the talent to stay up, and there's no doubt about that. It's just, you know, can the manager get them going again is, is my opinion. All right, well, we'll move on to Wolverhampton Wolves, who sit in 17th place, just safe in the relegation zone, uh, on 17 points. Uh, four wins, five draws, 11 losses. They've won two out of the last five, including a draw in that, in that last five as well, only dropping two games. Um, Wolves, another one of those that have the talent, no doubt, to stay up. They've got a new manager who seems to be getting them going a little bit. That, that engine's puttering a little bit, but it seems to be starting back up. Uh, tough contest against Manchester City, obviously. They got Holland. Uh, Holland did it. And then uh, a tough one to lose uh, against Liverpool one nil. Um, what do we what do we have on, on Wolves? This team, like we said, like you guys have said, is clear. Um, you know, wh- is this the right move? Is this the right direction for Wolves going into the summer and into next season? Yeah, I think so. I think it was a smart move to get rid of Bruno Large. He just wasn't performing the way they needed to. If they would have stuck with him, they'd definitely be in the relegation zone. Um. Yeah, this Wolves team—they're moving in the right direction. I'm happy to see it. Uh, they got the uh couple signings coming in. Uh, but they got that striker from Atletico, and now they got a backup striker for PSG. So they're trying to fix their goal scoring problems, and it's slowly getting there. So we'll we'll see. They're not. I don't think they'll fall into the relegation battle or zone. They're in the battle, but I don't think they'll fall into the relegation zone. Yeah, I don't think they'll fall either. But talking about the manager, really questionable for me um, to not start Daniel Potence, who had scored three goals in the Wolves' last four against City, who struggled in the first half against Tottenham. I mean, to me, that's kind of on them. Yeah, he did make the changes second half trying to come out more attacking, but that's a player that you don't drop with that form. 
in my opinion. So if they, but talking about them complete as a team now, if they can continue to grow around potence and that goal scoring ability he has, and he can continue his form, I see them climbing up, up the table a little bit, staying completely out of the relegation zone. To be fair, they got a pretty good amount of talent on loan as well. Gonzalo Guedes, a player they signed this summer, is out on loan. And Fabio Silva, who had a really bad Premier League season last year but just wasn't ready for the shirt, um, is out on loan as well. He's he's just switched teams as two. They've got they've got a pretty good amount of talent. I think Wolves I think Wolves are in a good position to attack next season. They just have to confirm their safety, and I think they made their manager change early enough to confirm their safety. Uh, and that they, they, you see the benefit of that. Uh, we'll move on from Wolves to an almost identical team in terms of, well, actually, an identical team in terms of results. Uh, not so much goal differential, but we'll get to that. Uh, Bournemouth sit in the first relegation spot in 18th place uh, on 17 points. They have four wins, five draws, 11 losses, just like Wolves, um, but they've given up 42 goals, and they have a negative goal differential of negative 23. Uh, Lost four of their last five. Uh, they did get a draw this past week uh, against Nottingham Forest in a big game. Uh, Bournemouth guys, is this, is this the uh, is this the end for them? Is, is should they have replaced their man? Should they have replaced their caretaker manager with a true proper manager when they still had the chance? Yeah, I couldn't agree more with that statement you just made. Um, I don't think it was the right decision at all to give the caretaker manager the uh, full managerial role going to come back to haunt them at the end of the season when they look at the table and they'll realize they'll have to go play in the championships here. This Bournemouth team, I just don't think they got the talent to get out of the relegation zone. If you look at the teams right above them with Wolves, West Ham, Leeds, and Leicester, they all got more talent than them. Nottingham Forest looks like they're willing to spin. Bournemouth's not. So, yeah, Bournemouth stays down, in my opinion. Yeah, really performing to the level we thought that they would perform at to start the year. Um couldn't agree even more that they should have gone and found a proper manager during the World Cup break, but seems like they're sticking with him through the rest of the year. Yeah, I mean, I think they got Everton kind of did them dirty by accident um, right before the end of the World Cup, or right before the beginning of the World Cup. Uh, they beat Everton in the Cup 4-1 and then they beat Everton in the league 3-0. And that was the hope, the the the, the spark that the Bournemouth board needed to stick with their manager, uh, their caretaker manager. And since the World Cup, other than the point against Nottingham Forest, I don't think they've earned any points at all. Yeah, they haven't. They lost 1-0 to Newcastle, 2-0 to Chelsea, 2-0 to Crystal Palace, 3-0 to United. Uh, 2-0 to Brentford. They've scored one goal since the World Cup, and that was against Bournemouth in their 1-1 draw. I mean, that's – I mean, excuse me, against uh, Nottingham Forest in their 1-1 draw. I mean, that right there in a nutshell is, is part of part of the reason they're, they're really, really poor. Uh, we'll move on to 19th place where we find Everton. Uh, they sit after 20 games played. They sit on 15 points, uh, tied with bottom – Southampton last four game or last five games uh, uh, four losses only one draw and that came against Manchester City on New Year's Eve. Um, boy oh boy, uh, news out of Everton camp. 
Uh, on Monday, they sacked manager Frank Lampard. Uh, and then earlier today, uh, they lost their loan signing, who had already done his medical, had already taken pictures in the shirt, was due to show to show up to training today um, and, and be a part of the first team. Uh, they lost him to Spurs. Um, really, really tough spot. Depression for me. Obviously, I was at the Southampton game in, in Liverpool. Uh, Four thousand miles just to cry inside of as a grown man inside of a stadium. Um, boy, oh boy, I don't even know where to start. Unless you guys start, just your thoughts, your comments, your con- uh, don't, obviously your concerns, but you know whatever. I mean, I just got one thing to say. I mean, there are a lot for me to go down, but if why sack Frank Lampard if you know that your one signing coming in this transfer window is alone, and that player holds Lampard high in his regard and like in his thoughts and everything. So he really respects Lampard. Well, I get rid of him. I think uh, it was Tom. Yeah. yeah but, I mean, this team, out. this team's not going to, what's a new manager's not going to come in and make a difference. Uh, tactically, you watch the Severton team and, and it is just awful. I mean, it is just Awful. Like they are all over the place. So, certain people don't seem like they have current instructions. We can't determine whether we want to play build up possession or this long ball. It's like when we're supposed to play build up, we kick it long. When we're supposed to play, when we're supposed to play long, we pass it short. Uh, a lot of passing around the back and then just kicking it up the field and hoping it. it Lampard was out of his depth. Lampard's not. Lampard made magic last season. Excuse me. Rashawson and Jordan Pickford made magic last season. Uh, Frank Lampard unified the fan base and got the fans behind the team, which was what they needed in order to stay up, and that is one of the reasons we stayed up. This season, other than his transfer pool, I can't see one positive that, that Frank Lampard has, has brought to this Everton team this season in terms of build-up. Yeah, uh, that's, you're little, right. That's, that's the only thing he's brought is his transfer pool, and that could yeah. have gone big this January. Come back and totally bite on the ass, letting him go. Yeah. What do you what do you think, Justin? Club in shambles is right. I mean, terrible. But talking about Frank Lampard, thirty four points in thirty eight games. By anyone's standards, that's just not good enough. Maybe you wait a week, let him get beat by Arsenal, and then sack him, <laughs> so you can get those players in. Yeah. But I mean, there's really not much to say other than just a club in shambles. Hindsight, the time to sack him was after we lost back-to-back games against Bournemouth. I mean, easy, 100%. The time to sack him was then. Uh, You could have given a new manager the entire World Cup break. We had one player – we had two players go to the World Cup in uh, Amadou Anana and Jordan Pickford. You know, there was a really, really solid chance – for a new manager to come in, go with the team to Australia, get his ideas across, get his team in order, and then he'd have an entire window to attack. Um, but they missed it. Uh, they stuck with Frank Lampard. And I want to say, you know, like, it's bad. It's not bad, guys. It's god fucking awful. <laughs> I mean, like, we came back from the World Cup, and imagine, all right, so imagine you're going to hire a new manager. Do you want your new manager to have this run of games, Wolves, Southampton, and West Ham? 
Or do you want them to have Arsenal, Liverpool, Leeds, Villa, Forest, Brentford, Chelsea, Spurs, Man United? I mean, like, oh, God. It's just, you're, just, you're just making more points of why you shouldn't have sacked him, in my opinion. He no, I think I think sacking was the correct opinion, the correct decision. I think they should have done it much earlier. I think he should have been sacked uh, after the Southampton game. I mean, yeah, I, for me. I agree one hundred percent with that point. It should have been done earlier. But now that the fact that you waited so long, you just should you just should have stuck with him. But it's just really? like there's no chance that he makes the team any better. The, 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 if anything, he's making the team worse, and he lost the locker room as well after a. Uh, after a, a, a fight with Abdullah Decore after the Southampton game, he fought with Michael Keane after the Southampton game. Uh, you know, uh, Anthony Gordon is is off. Basically, he's not training with the first team anymore, and it sounds like he's he's making a move. Uh, it just he lost the locker room, and once you lose the locker room, you're not going to get any better. Um, this seems like a job for safety specialists. I I cannot say his name. We all know who I'm talking about. I can't say his name. If he comes to Everton, I cannot watch it. Um, but I think, I think personally, in my opinion, sacking, sacking Frank Lampard was the correct move, even if it means we lost Dan Juma. Big Roy's Ooh. coming. No, no way we get Roy Hodgkins. He's done. Dude, what? No chance we get Roy Hodgkins. Nah, fuck out of here. He's not even in the list. Anyways, we'll move on to uh, the <laughs> team at the bottom of the table holding up the lot. Uh, that's Southampton. That's the Saints. Um, new manager, bunch of young kids. You guys have no. Sh- you guys think there's no shot for this team to make it out? No shot. Uh, no, unfortunately not. I don't think so. Only win in their past five games is against uh, Everton. Um, they did beat Man City two 0 in the EFL Cup uh, game. I think Man City was taken off with their with their uh, wrestlers, and they also beat Crystal Palace two one in the FA Cup. Obviously, these are not Premier League games, um, but you know if Southampton can find a bit of form, they can do decently. Uh, coming up for them, you know they they played today against Newcastle in the uh, Carabao Cup semi final uh, first leg. They lost one 0 to a Jolinton beautiful goal. Um, and they got Brentford, Wolves, Chelsea, Leeds, and Leicester coming up. If they can find six, seven points out of that, you're going to see a rejuvenated Southampton team. There are a lot of young kids. They've got ta- oh, well, they've got decent talent. Uh, they definitely set themselves up for the future with sacking Hassel Hooten, though. Uh, and you know, it's one of those things. Maybe this, maybe this season will have a few surprises for us. I personally can't wait. I know you guys can't either um, for the, the way this, this Premier League plays out from the top of the table to the bottom of the table. There's drama everywhere. There's storylines everywhere. And uh, tackling the Premier League will be there to uh, to cover it all for you guys. But you got anything to add before we slip up out of here? No, I think uh, Southampton, they made the right choices with their manager. They brought in a proven championship uh, manager. He was doing really well in the championship. So I think Southampton's preparing for the future. They, Like you said, they got a young, talented squad. A uh, year in the championship could really help this squad and the manager. Yeah, and it, the wins in the cup games goes to prove that this team let them grow a year in the championship, and they could come back just with a fire in their belly and maybe even make a Fulham-esque run uh, in a couple years. 
That's right. Well, from all of us here at Tackling the Premier League Podcast, we greatly appreciate you hanging out with us, listening to us. If you made it this far, you know what our ad on Twitter is. It's at Tackling the Prem. I'll say it again, even for those in the back. Hit us there. DM us. Chat with us. We're going to put up a couple of polls here soon, just asking your opinions on some of the questions that we've raised in this podcast. We want to hear from you. We love hearing from you. And as always, uh, uh, well, I can't even say up the toffees anymore because it's just it's just painful to say. But keep watching, keep listening. We appreciate you. Yeah, thank you for listening, y'all. Really appreciate it. Yeah, we'll see y'all next time. Cheers.